Yeah, thank you, Pastor John. Thank you, worship team. And uh, thank you for the warm welcome. Shalom to all of you who are on, on site and those of you online at, on site at Bukit Bato. So yeah, we are on the eighth sermon on this series. So the story so far, Israel is now God's new family. Okay, you got that? Because God, this is God's new, new family. God has given them 10 covenantal requirements to live a new way to show the nations around them how they should live. And so the new way was what? To love God and to love others. Ah, yeah. And this covenant that God made was, was settled, ratified, signed off in the mountain of the Lord. Where we are today, um, Moses is now at, in the mount, at the mount of God, and he's been there for a while, more than a month. What, what, what is he doing there? He's there to receive the blueprint for the tabernacle and also the ten covenantal requirements in writing. You know why that's, this is important? Because everything is better in writing. Right? Whether it's a contract, whether it's an agreement, you always want it to be in writing and not just in a verbal form. So he's up there. But we'll soon find Israel as God's new images. Right? They will... Um, like, the, like, like our, our first parents, you know, which is the Adams family, um, they, they are going to fail miserably as God's new images because their role as God's uh, representatives and co-rulers will be severely tested. And so our sermon title today is A Fresh Restart. Okay, we'll be looking at Exodus 32 and 34. And so before we go into 32, let me give you the setting once again. Remember, uh, the Lord told them, if you will indeed obey my voice, he, he told Israel, obey my voice and keep my covenant. You shall be my treasured possession you know, among all the peoples. And then it said, you shall be my kingdom, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And you know what Israel said? Israel replied three times recorded in the Bible. They said, all that you have spoken. You know, with one voice, they all that you have spoken, we will do. Okay, so they're going to be tested by this one voice that they raised. They say, all the words that you have spoken, we will do. From the get-go, they will be tested and they would fail utterly. And so before we point a finger at uh, Israel, I think we have to confess that we, we too have messed up. Right, time and time again. So it's not just Israel. So when we point a finger at Israel, it's not going to be a straight finger, it's going to be a, a crooked finger because we cannot point back to ourselves. But the takeaway for today is this. The comforting and assuring truth is we serve a God of second chances. How many of you are glad that we serve a God of second chances? And so our big idea today is Yahweh's covenantal uh, relationship remains even when we fail. Not if we fail, but when we fail. Yahweh's covenantal relationship remains even when we fail. And so we start off by reading from Exodus chapter 32, uh, verse 1 to 6. Okay, so I'm reading from uh, ESV. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Make us gods who shall go before us. And it's a very strange thing. It doesn't even put more words. He said, up, you know, up, get up. Make, up. make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, 
the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And so Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So our decline, our descent, our fall into sin begins when we find ourselves, firstly, losing out to pressure. Losing out to pressure. So say to one another or type in the chat, pressure. Uh, not, not pleasure, pressure, okay? Pressure. You see, pressures are common to all of us. Sometimes pressures come fast and furious. Sometimes they come slow and subtle. You know, but all of us experience pressures. And pressures feed on something, you know, feed on fear. Fear of what? Fear of people, fear of the unknown, fear of our own personal insecurity or, or lack of confidence, or we're not sure whether we can handle this. You know. And so all of us need principles that we can live by, that are not affected by our external or by the pressing circumstances. Because when we are faced with pressures and in the heat of the battle, sometimes we compromise. We compromise by what? By trying to come up with an immediate solution, an immediate relief. Immediate, but not long-lasting. Immediate, but short-term. Okay, so didn't Israel just say with one voice, we will obey everything you have said? And before you know it, you know, they have gone into what? a big-time disloyalty. They've committed their first act of disloyalty. So under very hostile, intense pressure of the people, because the Bible said they gathered together against him, they actually ganged up against Aaron. And Aaron buckled under the pressure and acceded to their request. So the first thing we know about pressure is this impatience at divine delays. This is the pressure of what the unknown how many times have you said, you know, if I had known this ahead of time, if only I had known this, if only I had known this, I would not have said this, I would not have done this, I would not have reacted this way. If only I knew, right? So because we didn't know, therefore we sometimes act prematurely. Delays are the tests of our faith. You know. Whenever you encounter a delay, it's a test of our faith. So after 40 days, no sign of Moses. You know. They don't know whether he's dead or alive. Because God didn't tell them whether they would be away for a four-day or 14-day or 40-day conference. Didn't say anything. And so now they are panicking. You know? Isn't that like, like us? When God does not fulfill His promises to, to us or has not fulfilled His promises to us, we say, well, you know, better let go of that dream. Maybe it's not for me. Or there was no sign of salvation of your loved ones even though you prayed. Then you say, better stop praying. Or, you know, you sought the Lord but there was no answer or direction from Him. And so you said, you know, let me just move on. Let me just go and do what I think I need to do. So the pressure of the unknown. That's the first pressure that we need to be careful of. The second one is reverting to pre-covenantal ways or pre-Christian ways for us or pre-COVID ways for some people. This is the pressure of the unseen. 
You see, faith, to live by faith and not by sight, is unnatural. It's supernatural. It's not, it's not natural. We can't, we can't do that. We want to see things, you know. So when push came to shove, Israel wanted her God to be imaged after the patterns of Egypt and the surrounding nations. Why? Because these images uh, were what they grew, uh, grew up with. They were comfortable with these images. And so you see a calf. Why a calf? Why a calf idol, right? So in those days, in the ancient Near East, having animals to depict their gods, common. A calf is a very common animal. So how do they depict their deity, their gods? In three ways. First, it actually can represent their god. That means the calf or the bull is their god. That's one. The second way is they represent their god through the attributes. So for a calf or a bull, it would be what? Strength, fertility, maybe leadership. All these things will, will be the attributes their god had. Or the third thing, what they built, this calf, was the mount, the pedestal or the throne of their deity. Okay? Three ways. So, whatever, which way it was, they built an idol. They made an idol. So, they were so enthused about this that they, they, they readily donated, you know, the golden earrings from their sons, from their daughters, from their wives. They gave. And then out of this, this molten calf came, they all gleefully proclaimed, this is your God, or these are your gods, Elohim, and the word Elohim. These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, you know. Didn't, didn't they just say to God, we will obey everything you said? So, you know, that, that's the second commandment they violated. The making of carved, graven, or carved images, you know, idols. Because seeing is believing. You know. They needed to see. They didn't know where Moses was, and they didn't know where God, where God was. Seeing is believing. And many times when somebody promises you something, right? They promise to share their notes with you. They promise to uh, uh, buy something or pay you or hire you or give you something. And then you say, you know, until I see it, nah, I can't believe it, right? Until I see it. And you know what they always say? Uh, wait, wait, wait. I-, I give you my word. So what do we have? We have their word. Nah. Is that enough? You see, God did not give them a picture of himself. There was no visual for God, right? God did not show a movie. This is who I am. What did God give them? He gave them his, his word. And so when you have to obey God by his word, you're, what, what are you doing? You're exhibiting believing loyalty. You don't see it yet. You take him. You take God at his word. And so that is not natural. To live by faith and not, and, and not by sight is not natural. But you see what happened? They descended. And so fearing the pressure of not knowing and the pressure of not seeing, they willingly traded Yahweh for their own version of their deliverer and their redeemer. The outcome was that Israel violated God's first, uh, second, second covenantal requirement. Do not make me make an image out of me. Or even the first, no other gods. You shall have no other gods but me. So straight off, you know, Straight off, when God looked this side, you know, wow, they, were, they violate, violated the commandments straight off. So the question today is this. Do you have a golden calf that needs to be slaughtered today? What, 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 do, what do I mean? You know, have you and I been bowing to the pressures of the unknown instead of trusting God? You know, how we handle delays reveals where our believing loyalty lies, you know. 
a delay with a job promotion, a delay with a position, uh, the onset of a, maybe a romantic relationship, or a desired goal, or an answer to prayer. So when all these things are delayed, do we justify by cutting corners, by taking the shortcut, or use unethical means to hasten the process? In other words, when God seems slow, are we quick to sin? When God seems slow, are we quick to sin? See, Israel said of her mediator, Moses, we don't know what has become of him. You know? We don't know. Is he dead or alive? Do we say the same with regards to the Lord's return? Did he say a thousand years? Did he say two thousand? Did he say three thousand years before he's coming back? He didn't say, right? So do we substitute gods that we can touch and see because the Lord's return seems too long in coming? Have we created our own golden calf of materialism, tangible and visible success on the worst terms, instead of trusting God for eternal treasures through the eyes of faith? See, the temptations to abandon God, to prefer quick fixes, to revert to pre-Christian behavior will come. But we can be pressured by the unseen. So when they come, we willingly succumb to these pressures. Instead of being what? Faithful and true to God's revealed word. Are we able to live by faith and not by sight? If we can, it will save us from succumbing to headaches and heartaches later. Amen. So the first thing, don't succumb to pressures of this world. But if we sin by bowing to these pressures, what do we do? What do we need next? We need to desperately look out, to be looking for mediation. Who's going to mediate for us? So say to one another, mediation. Not meditation, mediation. Okay, mediation. Verse 7 on. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. So sadly, those of us who are in sin are seldom aware of the dire situation that we are in. Many times, we don't know how desperate, desperate we are and how desperate we need uh, intervention. People who are in sin are sometimes oblivious or they excuse themselves or they rationalize away. But, but what is sin? Okay? What is sin? Sin is missing the goal or the standard that God has set for his people. Now, Israel's excuse was this. You know, we are ignorant. We don't know your require, uh, covenant requirements. But that's not true because back in Exodus 20, right, God spoke to them you know, in the presence of everybody. So they've heard already, although it's not in the written form, but they've already heard. Or they could say, look, the circumstances were very, very difficult because we don't know where our leader was. They could have said that. But what was God's estimate of the situation? Eh? God's version was this. In verse uh, 7, he said, they are corrupt. You know? Now this word corrupt is not a simple, like a, you know, corrupt, what does that mean? In Genesis chapter 6, before the flood, verse 11, verse 12, right, three times this same word corrupt is used. And how corrupt 
were the people. They were so corrupt that God regretted, right? God was grieved and God wanted to wipe all of them out, you know. And so it, it wasn't like these people were like, oh, you know, it's a small thing. But God is saying, no, they are corrupt, you know. And God said something more. He said, let me alone, you know. Let me alone. Don't interrupt. I'm going to destroy all of them. So God's estimation of the situation was very, very different from theirs. They were out there playing and enjoying, you know. They think, oh, wow, we've done, we've done something very, very good. And God said something in verse 7 or so. He said, go down for your people you know, whom you have brought. You know. I thought God just said, they are my people, right? My treasured possession. Here God said, your people, uh, your people, they are corrupt. Why is God saying this? God was not close to in his thinking, but he was close to in his acting uh, that he was going to disinherit them. Like he disinherited all the nations, you know. He was going to say, this is your people, not mine already, right? I'm going to wipe them out. So Moses hearing this, Moses knew that they were in very, very, they were all, they were in a bad shape. They were messed up. So Moses said this, verse 30. The next day Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So the first step to recover from this slippery slope of sinning is to call sin, sin. If you call sin an error, you need correction. If you call sin a mistake, you just need to redo. If you call sin ignorance, then you need to be educated. If you call sin juvenile, you just need reform. But when you call sin a sin, it's punishable. So Moses realized the severity, the gravity of the situation. They didn't. So Moses mediated for them. Moses pleaded. Four things we learn about how Moses mediated for them. Verse 11. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, Oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? He brings it back to him. Whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self. And say to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. Verse 14, And the Lord relented from the disaster that he has spoken of bringing on his people. You see, in this way, Moses implored the Lord, but not once did Moses downplay the sin of the people. He never excused them. He said, Lord, I'm not appealing to their good behavior. I'm appealing to your character and your reputation. If you allow them to die, right? The Egyptians, the world will scorn and it will be a PR disaster (laughs) to try to salvage the situation. Lord, you know, you can't do this. Your reputation is at stake. Your character is at stake and your covenant is at stake. And so the Lord relented. Okay, that's the first thing he did, right? Implored God's character. Second thing he did, Moses broke the two tablets that contained the requirements that Israel violated and also he destroyed the idol. Verse 19. And as soon as he came, down, came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, you know, Moses' anger burned hot and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. Wow. Moses did something about this idol, right? 
But before that, the tablets that he came down with, he threw them on the floor. And you know what happened, right? That, that's probably where the saying started, don't break the law. You know, Israel possibly broke two laws, right? Maybe one, maybe two, right? The first two. But Moses broke ten, you know. <laughs> All ten. Why did he do that? Was it because he was so angry? No, actually he did that uh, to try to nullify the effect of the covenant that would be on his people, on, on Israel. You know? Because God made a covenant and he was doing something. Uh, by breaking it, he was hoping that God would not hold them accountable to their part of the covenant. Because God already told them what you need to do, right? Ten covenantal requirements. But that didn't help. You know why that didn't help? Because further down the, the story, you, you see that God calling, come up again. 40 days, 40 nights, I need you to rewrite it. You broke it, but the only way that God can nullify the, the, the law that we are accountable to, how did he do it? He didn't break it. He fulfilled it in Christ. Christ came and said, I'm, I'm not going to do it the law. I'm going to fulfill it. When I fulfill it, I take away the punishment that is due you and me, you know, that guilt, so that we can be spared of that accountability before God. So breaking the law was not the way it was fulfilling it. Okay, but Moses didn't know that. So third thing that Moses did, Moses issued a call to separate those who are repentant, those who were repentant from those who were not. Verse 25. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, this broken loose means they were out of control. You know, chaotic. For Aaron had let them break loose. Where's Aaron? Eh? <laughs> to the derision of, of their enemies. Then Moses, said, Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. You know how heartbreaking this was? Thou shalt not murder, right? Remember? Verse 28, And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day, about 3,000 men of the people fell. See, the atonement for sin is costly. Repentance costs, but unrepentance costs more. 3K, 3,000 men died that day. And scholars have said, verse 26a, who is on the Lord's side? This question, come to me. They say this is the controlling verse for the whole episode. And why is this verse important? He said, if we believe in the Lord, we must prove it by our believing loyalty. You can't just say you believe, you must choose the Lord's side. So every day is a daily conscious choosing of the Lord's side. Are we on the Lord's side? That's the crux of the matter in this story. And so those who chose to be on the Lord's side were spared. Finally, the fourth thing that Moses did here, Moses interceded for his people by laying down his own life on the line. Verse 31, So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. Verse 33, but the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Wow, Moses. Moses was saying, pray, pray. Don't play, play. So Moses was saying, this is not a dime a dozen intercession I'm making, God. I'm putting 
my money where my mouth is, you know. I'm not just praying. You know. God, if you will not forgive them, you might as well take me home as well. Wow. But you know, you know what Yahweh's reply? Yahweh didn't, didn't basically Yahweh ignored that, that offer. He didn't say it was good, okay, very well, good job, you know, I like your compassion, I like your heart. He didn't say that. But he said something. He said, the one who is guilty eh, will suffer the consequence. Meaning the one who is not will be acquitted, you will be spared. But if you are guilty, you will not be spared. You know. So very clear, right? If you are guilty, you will not be spared. If you are not guilty, you will be acquitted. But centuries later, right, God made one exception to this rule. He caused the not guilty one, Jesus, right? The only spotless lamb. Not guilty, right? To die for the sins of others, you know. So there was only one time that that rule was broken. It was broken in Jesus. So sin cannot be taken lightly, right? Sin needs to be atoned for. And so 1 Timothy 2, 5, 6 tells us this. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus, you know who gave himself as a ransom for all. So not only those people who are in sin are kind of like oblivious to their sin, they don't even think they need mediation, but they cannot even save themselves. You know. We can't save. We want to, but we cannot. So much for that, right? Moses, Moses was not the Jesus. So the question we want to ask today, do you know Christ as your mediator? You know? However noble uh, Moses' intention was, he said, I'm going to offer my life to trade for my people. But Moses was not without sin. So Moses was counted as guilty as the rest. Right? Only Christ was the only uh, spotless one. So Christ is always the better Moses. Because in Christ, giving of his life, God accepted it as an exchange for the lives of those who are guilty. You know? And so without any, his intervention today, we would still be facing the wrath of God. So when, when, not if, when we sin, let's repent quickly and be restored to fellowship with God through Christ. There's no shame to confess our sin and only pain when we refuse to do so. You know. As Christians, you know, we are still in our imperfection because no, no one can say, none of us can say, 100% we have been able to observe the law of love, whether for God or towards His people. So it's no surprise that we will periodically fail and fall into sin. That's no surprise. But what is surprising is we can get up and, and rise again. Don't have to be defeated in our despair. Oh, there's no hope because Christ give, gives us hope, right? He's the one who says, you can rise again. I'm here. I'm here for you. I'm here to stand in the gap before the Father and you. And so we can always rise again. Amen. Because Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. And so this the third thing, so now we know, yes, there's a mediator, but what is very, very important now is, will God accept mediation? What is God's reply to Moses, right? And so we know that our full restoration and reconciliation with God each time comes only when we are what, leaning on God's mercy. So say to one another, mercy. Mercy, okay. 34 verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready by the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and pre uh, present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. So when we recognize that we have rebelled against God and repent, 
from it, we can be reconciled to God. But not by our own merit, but by His mercy. Because it's always God's prerogative to grant us second chances, not for us to demand. But we thank God in this story, Yahweh responded positively to Moses' mediation and intercession. And Yahweh was willing for a second writing of the covenant requirements on the tablets. And Yahweh revealed His nature as a merciful and gracious God. But more about that in the next week's sermon. Okay, what about us today? There are two common uh, misconceptions or perceptions that we have about God. You know, that we say the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, they seem like two different gods. The Old Testament is all wrath and no mercy. right? And the New Testament God is all grace and no accountability. But is that true? You look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 and 7, which is the last book of the Old Testament. The Lord said, right? For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. You know. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. He said, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. God consistently offers mercy and grace to the one who humbles oneself, who acknowledges one's sins and repents. God will only acquit the, repent, the repentant, but never the guilty. The guilty will still face their just desserts, or they will eat their just desserts. So we must not take God's mercy and grace for granted. We must not. You see, the covenant that God makes with Israel and also with us is held together not by us, but by His strong and steady hands. He's quick to restore, even though we are slow to repent. We can only thank God for His mercy. So God will still hold the guilty accountable and will progressively meet out the judgment. So in this episode, those who did not repent and take the Lord's side, they were killed either by sword or by plague. The question is, do you realize today how vital it is for you and I to lean on God's mercy? Do you know that we cannot be here today apart from His mercy? That God as the initiator of the covenant means what? Means that He will not let us down. He will not abandon us even when we break it. You know? But in His mercy, He will use ways and means to draw us back to Him even, it, even if it's painful at that time or it feels like a heart, heartache for us. Because when God confronts us with our sin, it is always highly discomforting. But it is an act of His mercy so that we can repent at the earliest opportunity instead of dragging it out and suffering the fallout and the damaging consequences of that sin. So what have we learned from this sermon? That like Israel, we will fail and fall. Right? We will fail God's standards because we are not perfect. But because Christ is our mediator and He is the perfect mediator, we don't have to flee from God in fear. We can run to Him for mercy. Hebrews 4.16, the last verse uh, for today let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Amen. What do you think uh, is the most common um, shortcut keys in Windows or in Mac? Shortcut keys. The most common. Control what? Control S, uh. but Jesus saves me, uh, so it's okay. Uh, that's not the most, I mean, you need to save, uh, okay. Uh, and the shortcut keys, uh, 
Huh? Actually, I tell you, what is control? Control Z or control Z? Or command Z or command Z? What's that? It's undo, right? How many of you want an undo button in your life? Huh? Yeah, that, that part, that Z would be like, you know, fade out. Uh. No more Z. Some people ask me, some people ask me, um, what's the process of, you know, you guys preparing your sermon, sermon crafting? Some people ask me, so I tell some of them how it's done, right? And it's, it's a rigorous process. But in this process, there's a lot of stuff that we do uh, to try to make correction, right? Undo, undo. So we come up with an outline, and then there'll be a panel of esteemed judges, you know, <laughs> who, will, who will look at it critically, uh, even forensically. You know. And then, uh, after they finish, your paper looks like a crime scene, you know, with insertions and deletions and amendments. You know. But then when you look at our final script, right, it looks like a work of art, you know. Every word is in its right place, nothing, you know, so spotless, you know. How we wish that's the true picture. You know, that's not the true picture, right? It has gone through many, many revisions, you know. And that's the same with our lives. We, we, we want to appear to you like polished, <laughs> a clean thing, right? We don't want to, we want to hide away all the stuff. And so when I was younger, I, you know, for all the mistakes that I have made, I wish that God was this gigantic eraser. You know? right? Eraser. To erase everything off so that nobody can see uh, the shameful stuff. And if there was a hard disk of evidence, uh, I would crush it and, and powderize it and drink it, you know. Just to save myself the embarrassment. You know? But there's another way of doing correction, you know, right? Not just undo, not just erase, it's to strike out, you know. It's to cross out. But it's messy when you see that. So when I was younger, I wish God would, would use an eraser for my mistakes. Yeah. But now where I am, I wish God would just strike out my mistake and not erase them. Why, why, why the difference? Because I need to be reminded uh, that I'm not as clean as I look, as good as I look. You know? And when God uses that red ink, it's the red ink of the precious blood of His Son. You know? When He writes on my mistakes, my sin... And he writes, righteous. And when I see that, and I see the, the mistake peeking out from that blood, you know, I'm reminded, you know, if not for his righteousness, where would you be today? You know? And that's the amazing grace of God. So today, as we bring this to a close, it's not about us saying, you know, you have this sin, you have that. You know, you know what Jesus said, right? He said, let him who is without sin, right, among you be the first to go and throw that stone. There are no stone throwers here today, let me tell you. There are only people, fellow sinners, who have been saved by God's grace, pointing to you that there's a good news. We fail, we will fall, but we have a mediator. And we have the mercy of God to lean into. So why do we keep where we are today? Why don't we come and ask God for a fresh we start and say, Lord, yep, I have messed up. I'm not going to call sin an error or a mistake or a lack of knowledge or immaturity. I'm calling sin for what 
sin is. So don't live life with regrets or remorse. Don't let your past keep robbing you of the abundant life that God has for you because it's always there, you know, nagging, you know, always condemning and saying you're no good, you're no good. Why don't we clear that once and for all today? Be set free completely today so that God can help you enter into the tomorrows that He has for you. But you see, Pastor, I've been far away from God, but I want to know that I can be forgiven, that God's grace and mercy are still available for me. You may say, Pastor, I've, I've messed up big time, big time, and I desperately need Jesus to mediate for me, to stand in the gap between the Father's justice and the Father's love. Or you may say, I've been disappointed with God's delays, Pastor. And I've taken situations into my own hands with or without His blessing. Today, I want to surrender my golden calf at the altar. And do you know with the relaxation of all the zoning and all that, we are free to open our altars today. Amen. Amen. So I don't know if if this is speaking to you, but I want you to take this opportunity to come before God and lean on into His mercy and then experience the welcome of God's mercy, the God of second chances. But you say, Pastor, I'm, I don't have this problem, but maybe you miss the prayers of the people. You come out. Or maybe you say, Lord, I just hunger for a touch from you. And so we want to open the altars for you today so that you can come. It doesn't matter if you're praying this prayer for the first time or the umpteenth time, you know, to say, sorry, God, I'm sorry. Because God hears your prayer of repentance each and every time. I'm going to ask the worship team to lead us in song so that you can come up. But I'm going to pray for four things for those of you who are responding to this message, those at Tangling and those at Bukit Bato and those of you who are listening online as well. Here's what I want to pray for when you come out and as we respond. I want to be praying for you to respond to God's mercy and repentance. That's the first thing. And, and to be willing to bear whatever the consequences of that repentance. You know? To feel the depth of pain caused and the unspeakable joy of forgiveness received. And also to commit then to the Holy Spirit's help to stay true to your repentance. So if that's you or you just want a prayer or you just want to come and say, Lord, I hunger for your touch, please come while the worship team lead us. Pastors, would you want to just, uh, leaders, would you want to just step up first so that you can encourage those of us who really need a touch from God today? Amen. Can we all stand? Yeah, that will help some of you to come out as well. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open Forgive yeah, coming. Keep coming. The Lord is speaking to you today. Take this opportunity to respond to God. Precious blood of Amen. Amen. Get a fresh oh, restart. The altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was born with.
eyes closed and heads bowed you know if you, are, you want to be included you didn't come up for prayer but you want to be included in this prayer no one is looking you just put your hands raise your hand to, to the Father to the Lord so that I can see and I will include you in prayer is this is there one of you yes I see your hand yes thank you for the hand you can put it down just before the Lord just raise it up to the Lord as we pray okay so heads bowed eyes closed pray this prayer with us our father we come to you to repent of our sin we're truly sorry for what we have done or are doing every sin whether big or small is against your love your holiness and your justice we confess we have sinned against you forgive us as we humble ourselves before you today as a proof of our sincerity, we are willing to make whatever amends that we need to make and to bear whatever consequences for our sin. Give us the courage and the determination to follow through on this commitment. Let us acknowledge the pain that our sin has caused, not just to your name, but also to those who have been affected or hurt or damaged. Let us feel the depth of what they feel so that we will not carelessly brush it aside, but we will really experience godly sorrow that leads to genuine repentance. We thank you for the joy unspeakable that comes from knowing that by your amazing grace and your precious mercy that we have been forgiven and are washed clean both in our conscience and in our hearts. Help us to commit ourselves to this prayer and its effects and grant us the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to keep us in this state of repentance so that we will not fall so easily. We thank you, Lord, for a fresh restart. For we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Let's give praise to God. Hallelujah.
to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was born with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ.